Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, Congressman Ro Khanna. He represents the 17th District of California, the Silicon Valley area in the U.S. House of Representatives. His website is Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov. His Twitter handle is Rep, as in Representative Roe, his first name, R-O, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A, uh, Rep Ro Khanna on Twitter. And Congressman Khanna, welcome back to the program. It's great having you with us. I'm wondering what's on your mind as you're looking out at the electoral, economic, political, environmental, and everything else landscape here. We're trying very, very hard. Uh, the speaker is, you know, we were very close. Uh, we had a conference call, literally, I can share this with folks. I mean, we had a conference call. The speaker was saying the deal was coming together. And literally, while we were on that conference call, the president tweets out saying the deal is off. And the irony is that the people who are blocking the president is McConnell and the ideologues in the Senate, because they just don't believe in, in government spending when it comes to social services. They're fine with government spending for corporations and for banks. And so we're working hard. And the reason it's urgent is if and when I hope Biden wins, you're not going to get any cooperation at all from the Senate. And so you could have literally a scenario, certainly up through the end of January, where we're getting no relief. And then if we haven't taken back the Senate, who knows when we could get relief. And that's why the speaker is working very hard to get whatever deal we can. Congressman Khanna is on the line with us. Congressman, your thoughts on the um, what's going on with Armenia and also Nagorno-Karabakh, is it? There's another part of the world that is in crisis here? In Armenia, in Congress, we passed for the first time ever to recognize the genocide. But with Erdogan in Turkey, I mean, the problem is that Trump has not prioritized any of the human rights issues. And, you know, without our involvement in the conflict currently, it could spiral out of control. And so and you could have a whole region that's engulfed in war. And so I think that the key is for a new administration to make sure to Erdogan that if they want our help in NATO or they want our help in terms of military cells, they can't be escalating these conflicts. Thank you. Diane in Widmer, California, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Yes. Thank you for having him on. Congressman, I'd like to know, it's been alluded to, but can they invoke the 25th Amendment, Section 4? The uh, president is incapacitated and unable to fill his job. I've heard it, but they haven't done anything about it. In terms of the 25th Amendment, you know, it requires two-thirds of the cabinet and Pence to say that Donald Trump isn't capable of serving. And that, as a practical matter, is just not going to happen. So it's a distraction that Trump is using to try to galvanize his base. And I think our focus should just be an election is coming up. He's clearly failed the American people. I mean, he can't even keep the White House safe, let alone the country. We need to vote him out. It's overwhelmingly looking like that's going to happen. Do you see any scenario where that doesn't happen? Well, you never want to uh, prematurely uh, declare victory. I've uh, learned that in my time in politics. Obviously, I think if the election were tomorrow, we would win. I think the, but Trump is trying a lot of Hail Marys. 
Yeah, he definitely is, and, and apparently so is the GOP. Daily rants and weekly op-eds at HartmanReport.com. It's free at HartmanReport.com. Linda in Douglas, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Yes, Congressman, um, sometime last year, I believe, someone had phoned you when you were taking calls on Tom's show, and they had asked why you and other Democrats, in response to being called socialist, socialist all the time, don't call them out for what their actions are many times as being fascist. And you had said that you and other Democrats don't want to stoop that low. Have you reconsidered that at all in light of what's going on and what has taken place since last year? Well, I think we have called them out very, very clearly for the use of violence in terms of not having a peaceful election transfer, for the use of violence over peaceful protesters, for the basic sabotaging of the Postal Service, and we've said that there needs to be criminal accountability. I I don't think it's about not stooping low as much as making an argument that is going to have the maximum impact with voters and with the public. And I think if we can make a very strong case by just having the facts, uh, they don't have the facts on their side, which is why they have to resort to name calling. Ultimately, I don't think that's effective. Tony in Long Island, you're on the air with Congressman Conant. Oh, thank you, Tom. Hi, Congressman. Thank you for taking my call this afternoon. My question is more hypothetical. If you recall back, I believe, in the late 80s, early 90s, when individuals who contracted HIV, AIDS, and knowingly had sex with another individual, they could be, in fact, prosecuted for attempted murder by transferring that disease to another individual. That being said, if we have a president who willingly knew that we had a contagion that inevitably killed over 200,000 people and counting right now. Would not that same hypothesis be applicable? The same, I'm sorry, you cut out at the, Tom, did you catch that? uh, I couldn't care here. Yeah, he's talking about, there were, there were, I think, 33 states back in the 80s who passed laws saying that if you transmitted HIV, this was during the AIDS, you know, the Reagan AIDS hysteria when Reagan refused to mention it it and all that kind of stuff. They were passing basically anti-gay laws, but a lot of these laws didn't specifically name AIDS. So in many states now, and I believe that Maryland might be one of them, or excuse me, New Jersey might be one, is one of them, which is where Bedminster is, that if you know that you're infectious with a dangerous disease and you put yourself in a position to transmit it to other people, you've committed a felony. Yeah, no, I think that there definitely needs to be legislation on this. I mean, uh, I do think that when you have an infectious disease like COVID, and if you're flouting the basic norms and you transmit it to someone else in a way that was reckless or negligent, that there should be accountability under the law. And certainly if you didn't take basic precautions like wearing a mask or not disclosing something and going to a place with large gatherings. So I'm open to that kind of approach. John, in Sedona, Arizona, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hey, Congressman Khanna, people talk about court packing. What about stripping? We actually have fewer numbers, and then we reduce the court size by taking away the last two or three nominees that Trump put in there. I mean, it might start a political war, but it's something that's legal in the Constitution, just like packing. What do you think about that? I caught fragments of the question, but I think the question is about the Supreme Court and what we should do. I have a proposal for term limits, that we should have 18-year term limits for justices, and every president should be able to appoint two. And I think that the vice president should just say that he is for court reform, and will look at all the proposals once he's president to have court reform in a way that will make sure it's fair and transparent and consider all the stakeholders. Do you think that maybe we should be saying, we're not packing the court, we're rebalancing the court, or we're unpacking the court? Yeah, or I think you should say, when he's asked, are you for court packing? He said, no, I'm not for court packing. What I'm for is every so often the country looks at what is needed. I mean, we've expanded courts before because of administrative caseload, and some of the caseload may be too much, but I'm going to appoint a commission to study these issues, and I'm not for packing it. 
I mean, I, I think that would uh, sounds like a plan. answer. Yeah, sounds like a plan. And we'll be back with more of your calls for Congressman Ro Khanna, the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, 17th District, California, right after this. Tom Hartman here. Did you know that Chief Justice John Roberts, back when he worked for Ronald Reagan, came up with a way that Congress and the White House could get around the Supreme Court? Specifically, they were trying to blow up uh, Roe v. Wade and Brown v. Board. But it could be used by Democrats right now. It's fascinating. It's in my new book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. Check it out. Thanks so much. Welcome back. Congressman Ro Khanna taking your calls. He is a vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and represents the 17th District of California in the U.S. House and a general all-around good guy. Adam in New Orleans, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Yes. Depressions are caused by a contraction in money supply. Thousands of years of history are behind this. Why are the Democrats not highlighting that the GOP are causing a depression by contracting the money supply on purpose? Thank you. Well, I would add, Congressman, he suggested that depressions are caused by a contraction of the money supply, and yet the right. Fed has produced, what, $7 trillion in new money? So what does all this mean? Well, I think that they aren't contracting the money supply. I think Powell is, if anything, saying we need low-interest rate environment and we need more fiscal stimulus. I think the challenge has been that the expansion of the money supply is usually to banks and loans to corporations, and they're unwilling to expand the money supply when it means providing stimulus checks for individuals and households and helping them with rent, which would be increasing consumer demand in a low-interest rate environment. And so there is a hypocrisy where our government feels it's fine to increase money supply when it is in the hands of an investor class, but not in the hands of the working or middle class. Okay. Kino in Lakeland, Florida. Hey, Kino, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hello, Professor Tom and Congressman. Uh, let's make history today. I want to talk about option B in the 25th Amendment, the Amendment 25, Section 4, Paragraph 1, Option B. Now, nobody talks about option B. The vice, the Option A is the vice president and the mar- majority of the cabinet, but option B is such body as Congress may by law provide. And uh, can you uh, get together with Congressman Jamie Raskin, who's a constitutional lawyer, and y'all do the paperwork and get a resolution for a body? Now, the, the Four past living presidents could be on that panel as a jury of peers for Donald Trump and some other people, maybe the Supreme Court justice. But option B would start to think, and I tell you, if you if you get the paperwork, I'll get some Republicans to come and join you and, and vote for that because Mike Pence is really ready to declare Donald Trump unfit. So let's make history. Get together with Jamie Raskin and get the paperwork. Would you do that? In honesty, I'm reluctant to go down that path. I think we have to have elections. I think having a commission pronounce on people's health when you have elections coming up is not the right way. I mean, you know, Abraham Lincoln suffered from depression, and there are a lot of presidents who have had issues. So my view is that there is a democratic process. You can impeach the president, and you can uh, certainly have an election, but I am not I don't think it would be seen well and would further polarize the country to try to do something dramatic, especially so few days before an election. Joe in Minneapolis, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hi, thank you, Congressman Connor and Tom. My thought is by demanding that President Obama and Joe Biden be indicted by Trump's demands that, that legal enforcement go after them, isn't he justifying the fact that if Joe Biden does win election and chooses to investigate Trump further and indict him? Isn't Trump kind of laying the groundwork? Joe, I think it's an excellent point that, you know, I mean, Trump has done this in terms of criminalizing his opponent, which is a strategy from the third world. He talked about locking up Hillary Clinton. He's now talking about prosecuting Obama and Joe Biden. And, you know, if you follow third world immature democracies, that's what happens. One time one party comes into power and then the previous prime minister or president is in, in jail. And then the other side comes into power and they put their other party in jail. I think it's a very dangerous precedent to try to criminalize politics and he's uh, intent on doing it. Roger in Indianapolis, uh, Indiana. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. Yes, Vice President Pence flew into Indianapolis for the express purposes of early voting. He left mysteriously for whatever reason. There's a lot of speculation. But my question is, the local news says he is a resident of D.C., not Indiana. His last residence was the governor's mansion that's occupied. Can he vote twice? 
Could he vote twice, get an absentee ballot from Indiana, and vote in D.C.? I'll take it off the air. Roger, I don't, I don't think he could. I don't, I don't think he could vote twice. I doubt he intends to vote twice. And I don't know the law. I mean, the law is probably pretty flexible in terms of allowing him to maintain residence in the state he resided before he became vice president. So I don't think this is an issue worth prosecuting when we have such bigger issues, which is that the administration has failed to keep the American people safe. Jeff in Portland, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Hey, good morning, Tom and Congressman Khanna. Thank you both for what you do. Congressman Khanna, Tom did a great rant about this. And in his 2007 film, Sicko, Michael Moore hypothesized there are two types of societies, me societies and we societies. And Michael asserted a national health care system is a fundamental building block for a we society. Uh, given how we might have to achieve this faster on a state-by-state basis, um, what's going on in your home state regarding a Medicare for All system? You know, if California does it, I think Oregon, Washington, Colorado would be right behind. Uh, thank you, Congressman. Well, Jeff, I completely agree with you. In fact, in Canada, it started with Saskatchewan, the province of Saskatchewan, and, and then that's how they got to single payer. And I have a bill in Congress that would allow uh, states to get a waiver from the federal government so they can use their Medicare, Medicaid money uh, to be able to create a single payer system. Uh, and I, I believe we should do it in California. The legislature has passed something. I think the governor should take it up. He uh, campaigned on that when he ran. Uh, and I agree with you that uh, having a state state approach will put pressure to get it up to a federal level. What is the process in California, and do you see it moving forward? It, it passed the assembly. I think it's going to require the governor to say, look, I'm, I'm ready to sign it, and they can sign it and pass it in a way that's contingent. I mean, you need a state waiver. I mean, you need you can't have the, the, the money go to a single-payer system if you can't use the federal money you get. The, the budget just isn't there. But what they could do is pass something wow. saying contingent on getting a, a, a federal waiver. So that's so that Medicare and Medicaid money can be used? Exactly. Hey, we have a brand new video up at uh, TomHartman.com. And this one's about national health insurance and why and how we really need a single-payer national health care system, whether you call it Medicare for All or you call it single payer, or you call it whatever. You know, Medicare for all, it has a lot of appeal because generally speaking, Medicare is positively viewed. That's what they call it in Canada. It's called Medicare. And, you know, which makes sense, care for people using medicine. We would save at least $150 billion a year just on billing. You've got hospitals in the United States that have entire floors devoted to billing. Hospitals in Canada have one desk with, you know, one or two people sitting at that desk handling the billing. It's just crazy. And people would get better care. They get more comprehensive care. Our entire nation gets healthier. And there's a whole bunch of essentially bullet points to build this argument for Medicare for All over at TomHartman.com. You can check it out right now. Joe in Cupertino, California, speaking of, you're on the air with your congressman. I was hoping that maybe we could do a little something about the fire service. Joe, I'm sorry, you're breaking up. The what service? The fire service. The states and counties can't handle this. Oh, fire service. I remember about 20 years ago, Elton Gallagher said we could use the military to help out the fires down south. Thank you, Joe. I'm sorry. You're just breaking up so badly I can't hear you. Congressman? You know, I couldn't hear. He's talking about the fire service is the only thing He was I talking about hear. the fire service in California dealing with the wildfires and how they're overwhelmed. And in the past, yeah. the military had been brought in apparently yeah, 20 well, years ago or something. Yeah, I don't think we need to, to bring in the military. I certainly wouldn't want the military brought in under this president. But I, I think what we need is resources for the state government so that uh, we can hire more firefighters, so that we can hire and fund our services. And that's why the speaker is insisting that any deal needs to have state and local aid. I mean, this is the irony, you know, for all of the Republican rhetoric that we're somehow going to defund police. They're the ones who don't want to give money to state and local governments who fund all the emergency services. I mean, we should say they're, they're the ones who are defunding uh, ambulance drivers and firefighters and teachers and all of the essential services. All right, and the police as well. Patrick in Seaside, California. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. 
Hi, Congressman. I am a staunch Bernie AFC progressive who's a sustaining donor for the last three years at forty-two fifty a month for free speech TV. I'm voting for Harris and Biden and Democrats all the way down the ticket. But this time around, I'm being forced out of survival to vote Republican on Proposition 15. I was calling to strongly urge you to re-examine Proposition 15 and possibly consider coming out against it. And I wanted to let you know why. I currently... I worked in the hospitality industry for 20-plus years, and you don't pay a lot of Social Security into that with your paychecks. And I was a renter for 30 years up until seven years ago, and I co-own a small commercial property in Carmel with seven units. And this proposition was originally supposed to be going after Universal and Disney and big corporations and remove Proposition 13 protections. This is a property that was purchased somewhere between 64 and 68. And my uh, monthly income was $3,500 a month pre-COVID. It's now 2000 a month post-COVID. I'm going to be 58 next month. There's no point in me going back to school and getting a degree out of a, other than something like a vanity project. I don't know who's going to hire me. I am literally living off of the rents, uh, I'm embarrassed to admit, of our tenants. And this this proposition lowers the tax threshold all the way down to $3 million. I don't understand. Yeah, Patrick, I'm sorry, we're, we're out of time. Congressman, 10 seconds, you want to respond? Or do you want well, to Patrick, do I, I think that they should exempt small businesses like you from the proposition, and I'm happy to look into that. You can help America return to democracy by telling friends and family how to listen to this and other great progressive programs. Tag, you're it. Tom in Urbana, Illinois. Congressman, I have never received my $1,200 stimulus package. I live in Illinois. I've talked to Davis, was wasted time. Talked to Durbin, wasted time. Talked to the IRS on their website, wasted time. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to get this money? Take your answer off the air. Thank you very much, sir. Well, thank you. I am sorry you're going through that, but I've heard the same thing in my district. You know, I was uh, on the uh, oversight committee, and I asked the IRS commissioner, uh, why is this going on? Why can't they get the checks out? It turns out our software systems are legacy systems still from the 1960s that we have in the federal government. So it's just a completely antiquated system. But I would encourage you to work with your congressman and senator. I'm happy to put you in touch with them. We have been successful in getting a, a number of these stimulus checks, and they just need to be persistent. Harry in Lompoc, California, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hello, Congressman. Um, with regards to our policies and trying to focus laser-like on resolving particular problems, such as, you know, how we deal with fighting fires and global warming and things like that, I've noticed that the Republicans in particular seem to be teaching their followers all of the don't-dos, that is to say, the fallacies of basic 101 critical thinking. Do you think that there's a tactical reason for that, and what would be your answer to that? Well, uh, I think that it's easier. I mean, this goes back to uh, any uh, philosophy of sort of control in government. It's easier to have control if people aren't questioning you or thinking independently. And that's why, in particularly today's age, we need liberal education, digital literacy at a young age where people are taught to question things, seek out different information, different sources as Keith, you can't have a democracy without an educated citizenry. Dave in New London, New Hampshire, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. This is more of a rhetorical question, but I'm not sure why people are looking to run Trump out of office with the 25th Amendment. Wouldn't we want to have him in there to run against? I mean, he's so off the rails. He's his own worst enemy. Plus... If Pence goes in there, then they'll get back some percentage of Republicans that Trump has run out of the party. Well, David, I agree with you. First, I think this is a total distraction, and it's changing the conversation and making it seem that the Democrats fear having just the election on, on the ballot box. And I, I, I think it gives him an excuse to go and rally his base. So I don't think this is the conversation we need to be having right now. And then secondly, substantively, I think we have elections and we have an impeachment process. And the idea of 
using a commission or the cabinet to remove a president may end up just further polarizing a nation. So I I am not focused on that conversation. There are people in my party and progressives who disagree with me, so that's just my opinion. Congressman, in the remaining 20 seconds or 25 seconds, your thoughts on what's coming up in the next week, where we should be focusing our attention and our activism? I would say three things. One is the stimulus and seeing if we can get something done. Two is the election security, and that is access to ballots. I mean, right now we're in all of the state courts of litigation, seeing if ballots are going to get counted, seeing if voting voters are going to be suppressed. And then the final point is making sure that we have a peaceful transition of power, which uh, first time in my lifetime I'm concerned about. Yeah, I'm in. Congressman, thanks so much for dropping by today. It's great talking. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Our book today is The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America by a guy named Tom Hartman. This is from the introduction, A Rebellion Against Monarchy. And it opens with a quote from Abraham Lincoln. The candid citizen must confess that if the policy of the government upon vital questions affecting the whole people 
is to be irrevocably fixed by decisions of the Supreme Court the instant they are made, then in ordinary litigation between parties and personal actions, the people will have ceased to be their own rulers, having, to that extent, practically resigned their government into the hands of that eminent Supreme Court tribunal. It's from his first inaugural speech explaining why he was refusing to recognize Dred Scott. From the time Americans wake up in the morning throughout their days, work or play, right through a full night's sleep, everything they do, touch, ingest, breathe, and use has been touched in one way or another by the Supreme Court. Food, drugs, transportation, clothes, furniture, roadways, water, septic, electricity, everything in modern life is regulated in some way, either in manufacture, distribution, sale, or use. And those regulations are allowed or disallowed, ultimately, by the U.S. Supreme Court. At home and in the workplace, Americans' lives are regulated by the Supreme Court also, whether there could be a minimum wage or unemployment insurance, how much power employers have over labor unions and employees, whether consumers can sue and harm by products or corporate actions, and how far police and other agencies can go in prosecuting or sometimes persecuting individuals or entire groups of people. The court determines and defines the limits of your right to protest and your right to a free press. It has final say in everything from taxation to regulation, from public space to private space, from contraception to marriage. Both directly and indirectly, the court determines how wealth can be earned, accumulated, and disposed of. It decides how far the rich can go in exploiting the poor and working people, and whether working people can fight back. Meanwhile, America has ended up, mostly since around 1980, with one of the most corrupted political systems in the developed world, with billionaires and big corporations literally writing legislation to benefit themselves from the federal to state to local levels. As Tim Wu wrote for the New York Times in March 2019, quote, about 75% of Americans favor higher taxes for the ultra-wealthy. The idea of a federal law that would guarantee paid maternity leave attracts 67% support. 83% favor strong net neutrality rules for broadband, and more than 60% want stronger privacy laws. 71% think we should be able to buy drugs imported from Canada. And 92% want Medicare to negotiate for lower drug prices, end quote. Yet Congress as a whole has not even once seriously considered any of these things in decades. The reason, quite simply, is literally billions of dollars of politically poisonous cash flowing from corporations and ideologically motivated billionaires into the bloodstream of our body politic. And it wasn't Congress or any president in history who changed laws to make this possible. It was the Supreme Court. Right now and throughout much of U.S. history, the ideological makeup of the U.S. Supreme Court has had little resemblance to the political makeup of our nation. In 2019, for instance, solid majorities of Americans supported a woman's right to access abortion and birth control, voting rights, a national health care system, well-funded public schools and free education through college, higher taxes on corporations to pay for infrastructure and an expanded social safety net, and regulation of corporate behavior from pollution to banking. These are issues that enjoy majority support from working Americans and American communities, but not from corporate America or America's billionaires. As this book shows in parts one and two, the court has historically almost always sided with the wealthy, the powerful, and the corporate against the poor, the weak, and the individual. In many cases, these decisions have struck down laws passed by Congress and signed by the president, a process called judicial review. This book answers the core questions about the Supreme Court's decisive role in determining the fate of the planet. Why did the framers create the Supreme Court? What is judicial review, and how does it make the Supreme Court what Thomas Jefferson, post-1803, called a despotic branch? How does the history of the U.S. Constitution explain the Court's frequent decisions in favor of the wealthy and corporations? When has the Court sided with popular opinion, and how have people successfully challenged the Court in the past? How did a 20th century coalition of businesses and billionaires seize control of the American government, including the Supreme Court? And why is this now a planetary crisis? Most important, what can Americans do about all this? In the beginning, there were those among the founders and framers of the Constitution who didn't mean for the court to have this much power. Thomas Jefferson was among them. Part one of this book dives into the philosophies that guided the men who drafted the Constitution. It also shows how in 1803, the Supreme Court set itself above Congress and the president with the power to review, strike down, or rewrite laws based on its own lone interpretation of the Constitution. Importantly, the framers of the Constitution gave no consideration to the rights of nature or even of the environment, 
other than its sheer productive potential to enhance the wealth of the nation. Instead of the environment, when the Constitution was written in the summer and fall of 1787, the new thing in political circles was the idea of property rights for commoners, which had only clearly been articulated outside of the realm of royal prerogatives during the previous few centuries. John Locke wrote in his 1689 Two Treatises of Government that the main purpose of government was to make sure that, quote, no one may take away or damage anything that contributes to the preservation of anyone else's life, liberty, health, limb, or goods. It's the hidden history of the Supreme Court and the betrayal of America by Tom Harbin. And welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us taking your calls. We've moved today because of the hearings in the Supreme Court. Congressman Pocan represents the uh, 2nd District of Wisconsin and the U.S. House of Representatives. Pocan.house.gov is his website. Uh, he's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And with us, if you have any questions for Congressman Pocan. Congressman, welcome back. What's on your mind and what's on your agenda this week? Well, Tom, thanks uh, again for having me. You know, a few things. One, we're watching the Supreme Court uh, being packed uh, by the Republicans once again, especially after an election started and uh, after they all said how awful it was to do in the final year of someone's uh, term as president. Here they are in the final days of uh, someone's term as president trying to move forward to justice. Uh, the election, um, you know, looking at the polls and looking at uh, our swing states, look, looking good if we get our voters out, um, but also trying to get a, a, a final COVID package through. And I think there's been you know, some pretty strong misinformation, including, you know, from people on our side of the aisle. And, uh, you know, we want to get this done, but we need a White House and a Senate to work with us. And I think everyone knows we passed a bill back in May. We passed another bill a few weeks ago. But um, the White House and the Senate aren't real serious about helping America's families. And uh, we've got to get that done. It's crucial for people who are unemployed, for small business owners needing help, for our, our frontline workers, for our state and local governments doing all the testing and contact tracing. So lots going on to be real honest. The Washington Post is reporting this morning that the uh, the Republicans, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate, have concluded that they probably will not be holding power after the election. And therefore, they're doing everything they can to blow up the economy and will continue throughout the lame duck session. And Trump is doing everything he can to infect as many Americans as possible so that when Joe Biden comes into office, getting the coronavirus under control will be a nearly impossible task and doing anything about the economy will be extremely difficult. They're already hysterically screaming or starting to about budget deficits. What can you guys do to head that stuff off? Well, you know, one, I mean, we can be unified in that we actually know the facts and we're sharing them with the public, you know, right, on what's happening. For example, on the COVID package, yes, they have a dollar amount that sounds like a substantial amount of money and they're dangling a a little shiny hook in front of us, but there's not a whole lot on that hook. And when you talk to Speaker Pelosi, we had an hour with her, those of us who co-chair the various values-based and um, identity-based caucuses in Congress, you start to find out why it's such a bad deal and what is happening that they're not bargaining in good faith. Uh, I think you've probably heard Nancy Pelosi say, you know, they'll take one step forward, then two back. And they're doing that. They don't really understand the health aspects of it. All they understand is Donald Trump wants another $1,200 check that he can put his name on, right? And when it comes to specifics, they'll agree to something. And then the next day, take that out of the agreement. And it's like, you know, you're bargaining with someone who has no intention of doing anything right. So I, I think that observation is correct. And we're trying to let people know that we really, we've passed several times measures to try to provide some relief. But I do think that there are some things that we can do. Still, we have a chance on December 11th when we have a continuing resolution run up. There's a good chance you can do things there because at that point when Donald Trump loses, Republicans are going to have to decide who wants to be in charge of the Republican Party because their cult leader just left. And I think there's some opportunities. And more importantly, you know, we're going to do things, I think, like a big infrastructure package early next year because we have to and help the economy. So I think there are still things that we're going to be able to do. It's just you're absolutely right. We've got some very unwilling folks on the other side of the aisle. And I think folks on our side of the aisle got to get the facts before they decide to tweet or text. 
Yeah, I would take it beyond unwilling. I'd say it's bad faith. I mean, this, you know, when President Obama was elected president, I believe it was Mitch McConnell said, you know, I'm devoting all my efforts to making him a one term president. Rush Limbaugh came out and said all the Republicans, we want him to fail. We're going to do everything we can to make him fail. And the successes that he had, Trump has been one by one undoing to try to erase, you know, from history in, in Trump's mind, in my opinion, anything about the first black president in this country. But but enough of my pontifications, unless you want to respond to that. Should we pick up some phone calls? Sure. I would just say, you know, I think if we can pick up the House and the Senate and the White House, which is starting to look potentially like it's possible, especially if people get out to vote, and that's the absolute key part of it all, then we've got a lot more ability to do some things uh, early into next year. So even though I agree with everything you said as far as the dysfunction dysfunction they're creating and, and trying to create, I still think we might have a few doors that we can open to help the people. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Rick in Syracuse, New York, you're on the Earth Congress in Pocan. Hello. How you doing, sir? My concern is because Trump has put a bunch of people in the court and this lady that she's going to be nominate as Supreme Court. I think they're going to, maybe it's me, but I think they might want to go after the 14th Amendment because I thought she wrote a paper about the 14th Amendment. It was not legal to be brought in in the Constitution because there was only one party, am I right? I think they might bring back not slavery type, but the type that if you were not white or if you're not this type of person, you are not legal to stay in the United States or you are less, uh, they will take people's rights to be born or to live in the state. So, Rick, what's your question? My question is, can they do that with all the... Okay, I got it. And Congressman Pocan, just uh, FYI for the background on that, I was reporting yesterday, twice uh, Amy Coney Barrett has referred to the 14th Amendment as possibly illegitimate, her phrase. And this is an ideology that goes back to the lost cause, that because the Confederate states did not have their senators or their members of the House seated when the 14th, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were passed, therefore they're not legitimate, and they could be ignored by the courts or they could even be overthrown. Uh, What do you think? Yeah, so I did hear you make that case yesterday, so that's why I am familiar with what you're saying on it. I think my answer to Rick would be, you know, first of all, there has to be a suit. You know, the court just can't do something. There has to be a lawsuit brought, has to make it to the Supreme Court. There's an amount of time that would have to happen on anything. But, you know, I think it's important, Rick, that everyone understands they're the ones who are packing the Supreme Court, right? They're trying to put us in this place of having to say, would we change the makeup of the court, uh, you know, because uh, they think there's some magic uh, they're going to win out of that answer if we, if we say a certain thing hypothetically. But the reality, the reality, not the, hypo- the hypothetical reality, is that they have been packing the court. They didn't allow Barack Obama a pick in his final year as a president. They are packing it right now with a justice, uh, even though we started voting 10 days into this process. So I think that's important to let people know that ideologically it is the Republicans that are packing the court. Now, if they are successful, and I think the Senate is still trying everything they can to try to stop that, although I think, you know, this week went pretty smooth for the Republicans in, in advancing their nominee, I think then, you know, we're going to have to have a lot of other conversations about what uh, needs to happen next. But, you know, this is the problem of elections having consequences, right? And so in the final 19 days, as we talk to people about voting, you know, elections have consequences. And right now, the, the Supreme Court has been the most affected by Donald Trump of any, I think, Tom, maybe any president, but for sure any modern president in putting nominees forward and getting them confirmed. Any four-year president, yeah. Yeah, yeah, any one-term president. It's absolutely mind-boggling. And he, he, he has placed over a quarter of all the judges on the federal courts and will have placed a third of all the judges on the Supreme Court. That's a huge footprint. Hey, we have a new video up over at TomHartman.com. I really enjoy doing these separate from what we're doing on the air because... Sometimes I can say things that I, you know, would be impolitic or inappropriate to say on the air, like the name of the website that I'm talking about in this video. And I lay it out and share it with you on the video. And this website is just outing these judges that Donald Trump and the Federalist Society have been sending through Mitch McConnell's Senate like a frigging assembly line. 
and how unqualified they are, how hateful they are, how aggressively they've worked to screw students, to deny. Well, one of them actually said that women who are on birth control pills, that should be reason to fire people. Right? I mean, this is just insane. You can check it out over at TomHartman.com. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Bert in Groveland, California. You are on the air with Congressman Pocan. This is something that happened in reference to the Kavanaugh hearings. During a break, Cornyn, Cruz, and Graham stayed in the room, and you could tell they were agitated. So as soon as the recess ended, Graham launched into a rant about how Kavanaugh's life was being destroyed, and Cruz and Cornyn joined in at some point during that, and they attacked the two women, the woman from outside who had been appointed to do the questioning. They dismissed her immediately, and then they went after the uh, woman who was accusing Kavanaugh. So I've never heard this mentioned. I watched it on C-SPAN. C-SPAN kept the cameras on. So Graham and Cruz and Holly, before it started, were talking, and evidently they're agitated about a story in the Washington Post about the uh, Biden son and allegations. So Graham So, Burr, what's your question? My question is, shouldn't the Democrats know about this and bring this up at some point that uh, these things, it's a sham. These people have colluded to get their way however it takes to get it. Okay. Uh, Well, I think that's happening, Bert. Yeah, I think that's happening, right? I, I mean, I think the message we really need to be talking about is that they're the ones packing the court right now, right? You know, they didn't allow Barack Obama in his final year to have a nominee. Here they are into 10 days into an election in the final months going against everything that they all said four years ago, trying to put someone through in middle of COVID, in middle of a dangerous time for the Senate and staff to be in working, given how many senators uh, were testing positive as well as White House officials, all from a super spreader event around the nominee. I mean, there's enough uh, red flags here that people should be operating differently, and they're not. So, I mean, I think we just have to really uh, stress that, that they're the ones who are trying to unjustly affect the court. And I think the more we do that, I think the better we we provide the service. And then we also mentioned that in the next month, they're going to be hearing uh, the Affordable Care Act. So we could lose uh, pre-existing conditions. We could lose marriage equality. We uh, we could lose uh, the right for a woman to make uh, uh, decisions about her own body. All decisions that were made by a single vote in the court. So I think we just stay on that. You know, they're going to talk about Hunter. They're going to talk about space aliens. They're going to talk about whatever they think they need to talk about to distract people from what's going on with COVID and the economy and people's health because of it. Because of it. But I think when it comes to the court, we need to be real blunt about what they're doing. They're packing the court. Yeah. Do you think this is a done deal? Amy Barrett? I think it's going to be very difficult to stop, Tom. I really don't know how they're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, my sense, too. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. NetSuite.com slash Hartman. That's NetSuite.com slash Hartman. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Look around! You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Hi, Tom Harbin here. In my new book, The Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream, I'll be taking you from the birth of America as a revolt against monopoly, remember the Boston Tea Party, to the largely successful efforts of both Presidents Theodore and Franklin Roosevelt and other like-minded leaders to constrain corporations' monopolistic urges, to the massive changes in the rules of business starting during the Reagan Revolution that have brought us into the cancer stage of capitalism. In the foreword by Ralph Nader, he says, this is the most important dynamic book on the cancers of monopoly by giant corporations written in our generation, end quote. It's the fourth in my Hidden History series. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy starts with you. Tag, you're it. Connie in Buffalo, New York. Hi. Well, you already answered the first one question that I had was about the Supreme Court adding people. I really feel we have no choice. So I'm going to change my question a little bit. What about following through on term limits? If we could, because we have courts, they, they pack so many courts, and it's quite obvious that they're the ones packing the courts, I've got to say. I don't know if anybody can't see that. They're not looking. I think it's a valid question, Connie, and I think, you know, Rokan has introduced a bill to do that. I, I don't think it solves any of our immediate problems, given that it's an 18-year term limit. I mean, in a couple decades, we can see if it's a, it's a good idea or not. But right now, I think, you know, the real question is, if they've been packing the court like they have, what alternatives do we have then to make sure that, you know, we have a court that's going to work for the people and not just for the special interests and the, and the privilege? And I think there are other questions out there that people really need to talk about, like, is the size of the court the, the correct size and other things that could have a much quicker resolution to some of the issues. So I just think, you know, uh, let's watch what happens. And if they decide to, to push this thing through literally days before the election and it's their last gasp, they lose the Senate after November 3rd, then we're going to have all sorts of conversations. Term limits is, is, is one possible solution. The problem is it's a several decade down the road solution. 
Tim in Shelby Township, Michigan. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, gentlemen. Are there any plans right after the election, before the end of the year, of starting any impeachment, specifically of William Barr or maybe even Kavanaugh? So I'm not on the Judiciary Committee, so maybe they've had some conversations, but as a caucus, we have not. We are laser-focused uh, right now on trying to get a COVID relief bill and getting up to the November 3rd election. A lot of us uh, who are progressive, working with a lot of our outside progressive organizational partners, are also trying to keep a very strong focus on starting November 4th, getting good people into an Biden administration. Uh, should he win, what we don't want to happen is to have a bunch of Wall Street folks and, and folks like that, because then, uh, you know, we're going to have a hard time getting a lot of things done in the next four years. So, you know, I don't know if there's been a lot of conversations about impeachment processes and my guess is if everything does change come November 3rd, there's not a lot of reason to have us in session because everything will be changing in January. We can move a very different agenda forward. Brant in Newcastle, Wyoming. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. minute and a half to the break. Oh, Congressman, I'm just wondering if the House might consider a standalone bill for relief checks to the citizens. Yeah. Are, are you talking about the $1,200 type check? Is that the relief you're talking about? I'm sorry right. I dropped him, but I think he means oh, okay. either that or $600 a week or whatever it may be. But yeah. Gotcha. I mean, you know, the problem is, you know, if we do the $1,200 checks for people that may help for the short term, but what about people who don't have eviction protection? Uh, what about our frontline workers not having worker protections? What about not getting money for testing and contact tracing? Because if we don't have that, uh, like Tom said, we're going to have a, even a bigger problem to take care of in that next administration. There's a lot of things that are important. We did the CARES Act together in a bipartisan way and did a lot of different things. We should be able to do that again as a Congress. Uh, Donald Trump, the only thing he cares about is his name on a check going out. And uh, because of that, we have some leverage. But we've got to get it right. It's not just about a dollar amount. It's what is in the deal that matters. And I think you know you have to give those of us who are in elected office maybe a little trust that we're watching that real closely, because I think if we took the wrong deal, boy, you could have a lot of evictions. You could have a lot of people hurting. And then there won't be another package coming very quickly. There you go. I misread my time cue. And we now have a minute and 15 seconds. So, Congressman, how do you think this is going to play out? I mean, is this more of the Republican strategy of trying to cause as much pain as possible for Joe Biden to inherit? I, you know, I think that's probably some part of it, but I also think they're just trying to, you know, Donald Trump is all about chaos, right? So if you agree to something with us, so you take $100 billion, we agree to go down to $50 billion with language that makes $50 billion still work, and then the next day, you, after you agreed to that, you take away the language, that's not operating in good faith, and that's what they're doing right now. So I think Nancy's, you know, fighting hard to get things done. They're going to help as many people as possible, including small business owners and restaurants, including other folks that aren't included right now. The EITC that wasn't included affects a lot of low-income families with kids. She's fighting for the best deal we can get, and um, I don't know if they're ultimately serious, but I think she's doing the right thing. We're reading today from Warrior Is by Harley and Robin Zephyr. That's the story of their great-grandfather who, in real life, killed Custer at Little Bighorn, and in fact, there's a map of the war, as it were, the battle, and they say that he is now the spirit keeper of Custer, which is remarkable, and there's a page and a half introduction to the book, and then it becomes a historically accurate novel, basically. This story is the traditional and cultural account of the life of Nikokju Lakota warrior Mato Nyanpi, saved by bear, his name in English, also later known as Scarleg. Warrior is based upon a true story. What you are about to read has been told to us through our family, passed down as oral history from generation to generation. Every family has its own story. This is ours. It's up to you to visualize and experience the events described herein in order to determine what you believe or what you choose to accept from what you learn from these pages. You've likely never read a story quite like this before. In Warrior Is, the reader is able to visualize and experience the events and circumstances of Mato Nianpi's life. Many times the story is told in the present tense, such as if you were walking with Saved by Bear and his people as the events unfold. This was our original manner of storytelling. Other times the story is narrated in the past tense to account for a past perspective. Those of us 
who may not be entirely fluent in particular words or specific language as much as we may be fluent in spirit and honest communication. The life messages many times can be more meaningful than just the written or spoken words. Warrior is follows the timeline from the time of creation, moving through Saved by Bear's birth in 1849 and going up to July 1876, two weeks after the Greasley Brass Battle. Please exercise your free will and follow your conscience when reading this story. The spiritual side is called upon you to open your spirit so that you may read this tale and learn about these events through your own spirit. And, you know, continues sort of like in that line, but here, right to the book. Prologue. He smelled the yellow of the sun. His spirit was alive and energetic. He felt the energy in his chest and all along the blood running through his veins. He looked to his left to see his great friend by his side. The strong scent of sage caressed his nostrils and reminded him of home. The movement over the high-running hilly ridge to the south caught his eye. He and Swift Bear sensed and felt the pathway opening up. So much had occurred so quickly, so suddenly, so dramatically. Their call to duty, his call to duty, filled his mind, his heart, his spirit. Today, it was meant to happen. It was presented to the people from the Creator. The plan was made. The warriors summoned. The preparation was done. It all led to this place, this portal in time. The sparse clouds to the west resembled mare's tails, and for a brief moment he remembered his white stone friend in the White Mountains. He remembered his spiritual commitment to protect his people, Grandmother Earth, and the sacred Hees Hapa. And time stood still for a moment, a small moment in time, through all of the ancient and original history of all the moments of time. And as the group of the horse-mounted soldiers rode briskly over the far ridge, the Creator shined that warm, nurturing light upon these warriors. Such as Creator had been doing since the beginning of time, since the beginning of Grandmother Earth and Grandfather Sky, and at the beginning of all things, all the moments of time forever had arrived here, now. It had come to this. The Creator's strong will and great invisible hand had placed them here. It was the Creator all along. It always was. It always would be. For one to know what led the young Lakota warriors to be here at this fateful site near the greasy grass river on this warm, sun-drenched day, one must go back, go back in time, way back to the beginning, when it was only the Creator, and the Creator of all things decided to create a new world. Her name would be Unsimaka, Grandmother Earth, and she would be created to hold and sustain life. All kinds of beings, all kinds of people would be given and placed upon and within her to show her love of life. And this is how it all began. Chapter 1, Origin The human beings evolved from the spirit. Before arriving in Wind Cave, we were star people. Many of us came from a place called the Pleiades, the Seven Sisters, an ancient star grouping and constellation that contains worlds comprised of the gift of life-giving water. Water is life. Mini Wikoni. The Pleiadian influence is an absolute, but those of us who claim to be relatives of the Pleiadians share a common bond with other indigenous people, regardless of where we are geographically on the earth. We will always remain Pleiadian star people. Spiritually, we have become human beings of different races and ethnicities, but the origin of our spirit is the water. And for us, and as to who we are, as the tribal people in a family way, our name is Minkoju, is evidence. It means life's subsistence through the gathering and planting by the waters and or river. The Minikochu spend their lives living by the waters. This is something that many of our own people do not know or understand, but this is our history, not only of our physical existence, but also the history of our spiritual existence on Unsimaka. The book is Warrior Is by Robin and Harley Zephyr. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, Congressman Pocan. Uh, this is my point. I favor eliminating the federal income tax. I think this is the way that Democrats could take vast majorities in the United States Senate and in the House of Representatives. And this is why I'm saying it is clear by that uh, Judge Coney Barrett wants things to be fought on the state level, that being reproductive choice and same-sex marriage, many things that the Republicans have always pushed for states' rights. Okay, well, let's put your money where your mouth is. So my plan is this. You divide the federal budget into 538 shares, whatever that is, and the states 
the treasurer, the state treasurers would collect taxes from their citizenry and pay whatever share of 538 your representation is. If Wisconsin has, what, seven electoral votes or seven represent, representatives, two senators, and however many Congress uh, representations, then you pay seven times a share, which is the federal budget divided by 538. Let the states collect the taxes to pay to the federal government, and you're not going to see a big bloated federal budget. Of course, the federal government can levy other taxes, such as uh, payroll taxes or other kinds of federal taxes, but I favor if you want to fight on the state level, and let states like Wyoming, who have, uh, what, 573,000 people in it, yet they have three electors, they have two senators and one Congress representative and three electoral votes, let them start paying their fair damn share in taxes, which would be three times whatever 538 divided, the federal budget by five, one share of the federal budget, three times that is what they should pay. If they're going to have an overrepresentation in and electoral votes, then let them pay their debt. That's direct representation. That's taxed by direct representation. Uh, there's no denying that. Your response? Yeah, Paul, I, I see at least one real big problem with that is there's a lot of states that don't care about their citizenry. I mean, but gerrymandering and things, you could see legislatures not care about people of color, uh, lower income folks and others. They're just going to then take care of whatever special interests help put them in the legislatures. And I don't think you'd get a fair and equitable uh, and just uh, delivering of services. That's why many things are delivered at the national level. And, uh, you know, I think the real debate should be uh, we've got to raise taxes on the wealthiest so that we can uh, avoid the, the income inequality that we have in this country. I don't think you'll get that if you break it out to the state levels. I think Paul was only pointing in one direction. He was saying no more federal income tax. All of the federal revenues are collected at, you know, in other words, our state income tax here in Oregon would go from, you know, 4% or whatever it is up to 16% or 20%. But all the federal money coming down to the states would stay intact. What do you think of that? Yeah, again, I think I, I still am having a little bit of a problem because the inequity I see in some of the gerrymandering on legislative levels. Like in Wisconsin, we didn't do sure. Medicaid expansion. Look at the few states that didn't do it. Even, you know, Republican states did it because it was good for their constituents. And some states were so political they didn't do it. And yet, it shouldn't matter what state you live in, you should have access access to Medicaid if you're poor and you need it. So that would be my concern is that would you lose some of the equity that I think we do have built in a federal system right now? Makes sense. Congressman, real quick, what should we be looking for next week? You know, we've got 19 days to the election. We should all be really focused on that. Hopefully we'll get a COVID package yet. Uh, Again, what's important is the details of what's in the deal, not whatever the dollar figure is. It's important that you're covering as many people as possible. And, um, you know, we'll watch the Supreme Court move forward. There you go. Okay. Thank you, Congressman Mark Pokin. Thank you so much. Great talking with you. Thank you, Tom. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 